It is Tuesday, May 26th, 2020, and coming up, we'll get into the match. Tiger, Phil, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, all those guys stepped up to play golf this weekend, but we'll talk about a music equivalent to the match. You won't want to miss that. Plus, we'll get into all the regular things, like I don't want to be a gas bag anymore, and this day in music history. Don't go anywhere. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. He may be Jersey City's own, but he's got a Brooklyn state of mind. That's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> you Not, know, even funny about this, Not even clever. Not even clever. It's funny about this hoodie I'm wearing. <laughs> it's like it's like a pity offering I got from from the Nets for like. For like sitting here on all my season tickets and not making any money back because they haven't canceled the season yet. So of course I get the nicest care package I've ever gotten from the Nets. Look at this. Look at this. I got a little piece of the oh, old court. How about that? Yeah, let me take it out for you. Oh, we, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, we have a live unboxing on the tune-up right now. Look at that. Look at Isn't that. Nice? It's an uh, actual piece of the old court. Look at that. You know, it's got some nice grooves on the bottom. It's got the. Current Nets logo on the top. You, yeah, you, you're all cool, set over man. there. Look at pretty you. Pretty cool. I got my hoodie. I thought the hoodie was going to be too small for me. It actually fits. Now, let me Feeling add. Good. They even sent me an electric thermometer, which is strange because <laughs> I actually need those all the time. <laughs> so the Nets really came through for me on this one. Let me ask you, you this question. If yeah. the Nets give you access to go to this uh, resumption of the season in Disney World, uh, looking like it's going to be just the playoffs in Disney World, and you're in the Nets team bubble for this whole thing. Do you take that opportunity, and is the risk worth it leaving your family for maybe a month or two for the play? As a fan? Yeah. No, of course <laughs> not. No, no, as a fan, you'd be a fucking, I don't know. Yeah, that's certainly not worth it to me. No, I would 100% um, do this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is the difference. You know, you're a man in your 20s. You got a girlfriend. You got an open <laughs> life. You could just be like, yo, I'm taking off for a couple of weeks. I'm going to the Disney bubble in Orlando. Like, that's a different pitch for me, my friend. Because think about this, okay? Bucks maybe have a shot to win a championship. Giannis has already said on my former employer at ESPN Milwaukee, if they win the championship, he's taking the entire organization to Mykonos. I'm trying Ooh. to get in that bubble, dude. I want to party with Giannis right. and Mykonos. That's a different story, man. If you got... <laughs> alternate locations and vacations coming out of it jump on it man that's like the uh the mark cuban dirk Nowitzki deal you know it's like here i'm going to give you three million dollars in contracts but then you can use the cuban jet the cuban <laughs> resort the cuban island and it's all yours you know oh, you got to get it. that deal with Giannis on yeah, the low that's maybe uh... maybe just start with a brother maybe that's the way to get in you know Oh, man. Well, though, his youngest brother, Alex, going to Europe to prepare for his NBA career. So maybe I already missed my opportunity with the oldest to become part of the entourage. That opportunity was there. Didn't take it. So now I guess I got to get on Alex Antetokounmpo's entourage. Anyway. I wonder, though, you know, it's like the Bucks. Do you think like teams like the Bucks, who are most dependent on their systems are the ones who will suffer the most from this break? 
You know, I think so because w- with the loss of uh, Jerry Sloan, they were talking about how like the Jazz played everybody and how uh, all the stories about John Stockton. He wasn't a dirty player. It was just the way that they ran their sets that had all of the pushing and stuff like that. So very much, you know, kind of like your Bledsoe's and Chris Middleton's. Uh, people kind of always look at Bledsoe as a dirty player. And I think a lot of it is because the way Bud runs those very San Antonio Spurs sets. So maybe a team like that is probably suffered the most from this time off. But I definitely think, you know, Giannis doesn't even have a court. He hasn't been getting shots up or is not at least not as many. So I'm scared right now. But what can you do? Right. That that hitch is probably looking a little funnier than normal. (laughs) He also might be dealing with the uh, Kevin Durant Nets if this playoffs comes. Oh, my gosh. Good Lord. Good Lord. All right, because I don't want to talk about Kevin Durant and the Nets, let's get to this day in music history. All right, Benny, what's your submission? All right, number one. This one is very near and dear to my heart because it's one of my favorite all-time songs off one of my favorite all-time records. Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple off the record Machine Head. This record means a lot to me, so I really needed to make sure we talked about this. In 1973, Deep Purple finally released the Smoke on the Water single. Now, if anyone doesn't know the story to this, you should. It's in the lyrics itself. Some stupid with a flare gun burned the place to the ground while Frank Zappa and the mothers were on the stage, okay? So the story is they were at the Montreux Casino in Montreux, Switzerland. Frank Zappa and the mothers' invention were 80 minutes into their set when, according to the musicians... A fan shot a flare gun at the wooden ceiling and engulfed the venue in flames. It was a very dangerous situation. Swiss firemen broke huge windows by the stage, so all the people trapped at front jumped out of these windows, and miraculously, almost everybody got out unscathed with only cuts and bruises. But they're all outside, and it hits the heating system, and anybody who was at the concert, including Frank Zappa, watched this place burn to the ground from this lake. So that's, you might ask, why is Deep Purple involved in this story at all? It's because randomly they were uh, working on tracks in Switzerland. They had rented a truck from the Rolling Stones and were just randomly staying at this casino, woke up in the middle of the night to a fire, left their rooms and watched their hotel rooms burn in flames. So their... uh, actual visual and depiction of this story is what the song smoke in the water is about which is so fucking interesting and cool especially since nobody passed away now the thing i didn't know about this was the random series of events that almost got kind of creepy for frank zappa so all of his gear was burned in the fire apparently except for one cowbell i don't know if this is a golden cowbell like framed somewhere right now i'd love to get a bid on that but they, uh, they rented their gear and six days later played another show at the Rainbow Theater in London. And during the show, a fan pushed Frank Zappa off the stage into a concrete orchestra pit and injuries he suffered from it had left him in a wheelchair for a year. This is literally the show after somebody burns down your venue while you're on stage. That's a fucked up week. And I didn't know this happened to Frank Zappa. And then even uh, in a stranger turn, 22 years after that, Frank Zappa passed away on the anniversary of the fire. So 
it's just a strange kind of series of events there for Zappa, tying him to this and some weird omens. I'm definitely going to read more about. But this story produced one of the most iconic rock riffs in history that like anyone who picks up a guitar starts fucking rocking. One of the first things they learn. Uh, I have a great story about Richie Blackmore and that riff, but I'm not going to use it right now. I'll save that one. Oh, a little tease. Look at this guy. Look at this guy learning it. Yo, pro. Come on. Come on. Well, Benny, mine is not nearly as entertaining as yours, but it does have to do with a fire as well. On this day in 1996, a fire at the home of Eric Clapton caused over one and a half million pounds worth of damage. Firemen arrived on the scene to find Clapton braving the blaze to save his collection of guitars. So that seems like a very Eric Clapton thing to do. Big ups to him. Really putting it all on for the brand and all that stuff. So Eric Clapton... This day, 1996, when to go save his guitars. Benny, let me ask you, what, what's the thing that would get you to jump into a burning fire? Oh, man. Um, well, I don't have a championship ring. Let's see. <laughs> not um, yet. Not yet. But hey, if, if my Disney bubble thing goes yeah. as planned, I'll definitely have one. Uh, what the Queen I... Snyder hair. People are going to think you're hip. <laughs> I'll tell you what would make me come back into a burning building. Maybe What's to that? get, maybe to try to save this closet and these mics. I know this stuff isn't that valuable, but man's got to eat. Man's got to eat and a man's <laughs> got to live. So I, I got to bring the remote studio with me if, God forbid, the palatial estate up here in Jersey City ever. That's smart. Yeah. Good thinking. That's exactly who I want to do a radio show with, you know? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Show stops for no one. Keep it 100. Um... <laughs> Keep it 100. <laughs> So, Danny, my second This Day in Music History is also the second Bed In for Peace done by John Lennon and Yoko Ono to protest the Vietnam War. Uh, this one, apparently they went to Central America for a day, thought it was too hot, got back on a plane and went up to Montreal to do their <laughs> second sit-in, which is pretty fucking foofy, actually, when I think about it. Um, a funny part about this was the way they set it up was pretty genius. So the Washington Post at the time reported an acquaintance of Lennon and Uno. I got to assume they planted this, which is smart for 1969, mm. you know, some LeBron James <laughs> shit going on. Uh, the, the, the acquaintance of, of John Lennon and Yoko Ono had said the couple was planning the century's most uncensored love-in. So journalists showed up thinking they were about to witness like a conjugal visit essentially made public for the press. <laughs> and that's how they got everyone to come. And then they came and found the two of them, you know, buttoned up in their jammies, surrounded in flowers and guitars. And, you know, it's pretty fucking genius yeah. that they did that. Um, so <laughs> I thought that was cool. And during this second one, they hosted many visitors, uh, including poet Allen Ginsberg, civil rights activist, comedian Dick Gregory. And they also recorded Give Peace a Chance hmm. with a crowd of backup singers that included LSD advocate Timothy Leary and the musical comedian Tommy Smothers. Wow, how about so, that? What oh, an interesting right. week at the hotel room in Montreal. And you know what? The more I read about it and the kind of figure John Lennon was, I think it would be easier to scoff at something like this. But you know what, man? I think it was a positive and interesting way to bring light to give another path to people during that time when, you know, 
kind of the options were militarism or, you know, throwing bottles at a crowd and mm-hmm. shit. And this was a good third option and it worked for a lot of people. Exactly. So respect to John and Yoko for that one. I wouldn't mind sitting in a bed talking about peace for a week. <laughs> you know, they, they could afford room service. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, me and the girlfriend actually got into not a fight, but like a tiff. Apparently, she's a big Yoko Ono fan. How I learned this more than a year into this thing. Interesting. Um, she like told me this like, like as we're driving, and I'm and I like almost drive off the road. I'm like, how can you be a fan of someone that broke up the Beatles? Allegedly. Oh, oh, I hate that. You know, so it's just like that's like typical woman is the devil. <laughs> but you know who broke up the de- <laughs> Beatles? It's all those guys fucking each other's wives. <laughs> giant egos going to india with the maharishi and doing all this great like it wasn't yoko you know but i mean i know they were both married and in relationships when they met each other it's dubious okay john lennon had a couple things in his closet i know didn't we all oh i tee up benny each and every week and he hits a grand slam out of the park that was beautiful all right first headline here today benny over the weekend Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning all decide, you know, I got nothing better to do. I'm going to hit up a golf course and raise some money. What a gaggle. What a gaggle. What a gaggle. And raise money for COVID-19. They raised $20 million. Good Uh, chunk. They brought in, you know, it was on the Turner Family Networks. They brought in Charles Barkley. It was a good time. Good times were had by all. People got some sports that they needed. But I want to pivot this to you, Benny. What would be any sort of musical equivalent of four legendary athletes playing golf together. All right, this is pretty hard, okay? Yeah. Because the one thing about, about this is, like, skill levels, you know? And to sit here and be like, this musician is just this much better, you, you basically have to delineate types of music. You know, you'd right. have to make, uh, you know, Dave Grohl play Miles Davis. You'd have to make Miles, you know, he's dead. But you'd have to make Miles Davis play Led Zeppelin. You'd have to take people out of their wheelhouse here. But I don't know how you do it side to side like golf. You know, you'd have to set up like two stages, something strange. But I did want to just talk about the game itself first yeah. before I get into this. So they had a 5.8 million average viewership, which per Turner is the most watched golf telecast in history. Now, this means two things, right? It either means right now, it's proof that people will watch fucking anything related to sports. If this in the last dance is any indication, probably what it is. Or I contest it is my rule changes for golf that I've been talking about in this podcast for six months that are correct. And the world is finally catching up to my idea. Okay. Golf for the entirety of my life has never connected with me. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. If you asked me when I was 16, I would have told you they should build fucking homeless housing on those golf courses. Now I understand more about the world and how this works, but I still never took a very big interest in it. It never had anything in my life. And I always associate golf with Caddyshack and Caddyshack too. <laughs> Great films. So my contention, as you know, was larger holes, perhaps uh, quad races from hole to hole with a checkered flag. Uh, the um, the the green goalie who sits on the green posted up with a fat hockey stick blocking the blocking the hole. And now I'll add their idea, which is celebrity partners. I think golf just like, you know, 
I think the same thing that's going to happen to baseball, where they're going to do this series of sort of revolutionary rule changes to speed up the games and make sure that they get enough content in. I think this is just the conduit that some of these sports need to make the changes that they were afraid to make or, you know, the public wasn't ready for them to make and now they don't give a shit because they just want sports. So I think in the same regard, like some of these sports, let's be real about it, the older white American sports that have kind of needed a, you know, a boost. And this might be it now. My thing with this is I think, you know, the more they do this, the more that they're realizing is that I think people would pay for pay-per-view golf a lot like they do boxing. I think you could see a situation where Tiger Woods' lasting legacy is how he changed the economics of golf with this. Because think about it. People will watch Tiger and Phil do this all day. They've, they've, they've done it twice now. The ratings have been huge. So next time, I feel like they should take it to all of the on-demand companies, all of your cable companies, and make it a pay-per-view thing, therefore going over and above the PGA and almost kind of starting their own thing. I think that this is what, you know, you can be a golf champion so much as, as Tiger Woods was, and then he has the fall down and then the come up, but to really put your lasting legacy to do something that nobody has ever done before, you make the pay-per-view and you become the Floyd Mayweather of golf <laughs> where you're just cash and checks left and right. And I mean, if you get some of like the best young golfers to do this, the entire economics change changes. The pot doesn't matter. You may not have a quote unquote PGA champion, a like masters champion, but I think the product for everybody involved is a lot better. Now, does this have to work in concert with the PGA though? Because I imagine they have exclusive rights with courses, exclusive rights with, uh, you know, club makers, gear people, uh, actual golfers themselves. Like, do the golfers have the ability to go off and just get paid straight from pay-per-view or a third party? In order for a course to be on the PGA, it has to be PGA certified. But there are a ton of great golf courses in the world that aren't PGA certified that I'm sure that they could take it to, you know, because then it becomes more about the location and where you are mm -hmm. than the actual course itself. Heck, Tiger and I'm not sure if Phil has, but Tiger definitely has made so many golf courses throughout the world that he could just make another one for his own little thing. And next <laughs> right. thing you know, Tiger is like the king of golf. I mean, he was like metaphorically it, but he could literally be the financial king of golf in the next few years. Let me ask you this because yeah. you know more about it. If you were to choose like a public golf course anywhere in America that's the equivalent to like Rucker Park, where like oh. Tiger and Phil are going back to their roots and playing like the hardcore course with like, you know, the chain nets and shit. This one has like, you know, the sand pits with glass yeah. in it. Like, wh where is that course? Uh, Where's the, the Rucker Park of golf? Maybe a lot of our listeners know this well. The, the Van Nuys public course from Swingers. Oh, right. That has to be like the, uh, the Rucker Park. The... Play on. <laughs> yeah. What'd you get? Nine? Give me a nine. <laughs> Crazy. I'm telling you, I'm goofy. I'm goofy. <laughs> <laughs> but so to answer your first question about the music, okay, yeah. I thought a lot about this and I only came up with two scenarios I think are fun. First, I think would be to pair musicians with their techs. Oh. And have like, like a musician literally like go through the pre-show you know, turn around, have them do the guitars, do the drums, do the stage, do the sound, and just see how they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then put them up to their 
tech counterparts on another stage and see how they do. You time it, you uh, judge it for proficiency and effectiveness after, something like that. I would say you turn the tables after and make the techs play the band's music. But more often than not, in my experience, the techs are just as good musicians or better than the people playing. Usually people who are in that field are people who are great musicians who toured themselves, who just found another way to make money in music, you know? So if you ask a lot of techs to go rip the bands they work for, they can fucking rip the bands they work for. So I don't know if you could turn it. The other one I thought would be fun is you take like an original band like Radiohead, someone who's really difficult to play. It takes, you know, a lot of interchanging parts, a lot of practice, a lot of samples, different soundscapes. You know, it's a complex band. You have them play and then you A-B it with like Ed Sheeran trying to do the same exact thing, you know, and see... Who gets the crowd going the most? And maybe like, you know, Ed Sheeran's like your Tom Brady. Like he doesn't do it exactly right. But by the, you know, back nine, he's really putting something interesting together that people are interested in. So those are the couple scenarios I thought with music that could be fun. That seems very much like, you know, what the DJs from the 90s have been uh, and the producers ah. from the 90s have been doing on Instagram Live during this thing. So, right, Benny, the battles. you may be on to something. Yeah, I, I mean, my IG live game is weak, so I <laughs> should right. do something. We got to get on that. I don't um, even have a TikTok, Danny. <laughs> when am I going to get a TikTok? I've told you, and then when Brian was on this, that's how you make money, TikTok. Yeah. I know, man. Twitch. Listen, <laughs> you got to die. Sometimes you got to die in a smaller pile with bigger pride, you know? Oh, God <laughs> knows we've all been there. I don't even have a Facebook, bro. <laughs> good. Honestly, yeah. good, 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 good. But well, you are you on know, Instagram. I'd like to say it was for some noble purpose, but in reality, you just don't want to talk to people. Nah, I think I was, I was using as I do now. I would be off of Twitter right now if I didn't need to slut myself on it. <laughs> and MySpace happened to be a site I needed to slut myself on because I was trying to push my bands and I was trying to do that. Facebook came at a strange time in my life You're when my band it. was doing pretty well, hmm. and I didn't need to slut myself. I started dating somebody great. Didn't need to go that way. And I really didn't see a purpose for it. Maybe this is the shallowness of me because I know most of it, people use it to communicate with family and friends, which is probably more important. (laughs) But this is where I'm at, man. I'm sorry. You went almost as far as quoting uh, James Taylor and uh, funny people be like, fuck Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, you're fucking nuts if you think you're getting me on that thing now. I have my fucking face scanned in no time, whatever they're up to. Yeah, it's bad enough you got me on fucking Zoom right now. Oh, by the way, I didn't even tell you about this. Yeah, what's up? You know that email you're sending Zooms to is like my new like business email. Ever since you started sending me Zoom invitations, it is spam. It got fucking spammed. I get about a dozen spams a week now, a day, and I used to get none because you're damn Zooms. Don't blame me. Blame a uh, primary investor and Zoom Andre Iguodala. He's the one that's <laughs> fucking up your spam, not Yo, me. <laughs> Iggy. Come on, man. I thought you were good. I really thought you should have won that dunk contest, Iggy. Can you take the spam <laughs> off my email? Some bullshit. That's what happens when you get sequestered in Memphis. <laughs> it's true. You got too bored. 
Each and every week, we survey the World Wide Web to find the most overinflated and notorious names in the hot takery business, and we highlight them in a segment we like to call, I Don't Want to Be a Gas Bag Anymore. But I don't want to be a-, a gas bag! So just before, I see that White House advisor, Kevin Hassett, who of course is a dorky middle-aged white guy, what else would he be, says... You know what he says about America right now? What? Our human capital stock is ready to go back to work. He just called people human capital stock. And that is a gas bag if I've ever heard one. There's, these people literally think we're farm animals now. And they're calling us cattle. Basically, let me. it's time for you to be funneled back into the office to peck your rooster beak on a keyboard or whatever the fuck is happening because you are now human capital stock. All right, Benny, my gas bag of this week is none other than Lance Armstrong. Nobody wants to watch your documentary. I can't believe, like, ESPN just went from the greatest five weeks of documentary programming we've ever had to get this. We get two parts of Lance Armstrong, and then we get to hear about Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. And then, on top of that, ESPN just hands out money to Tom Brady for a nine-part documentary. So, what I'm learning here, all you got to do is cheat, accomplish something incredible, and ESPN's going to hand you a ten-part documentary. So, this is where the tune-up comes in. I want to have a podcasting scandal where we buy more listeners than Joe Rogan, Bill Simmons combined, and people be like, the fastest rise in podcast history. And then we get a 10-part documentary about the rise and fall of the tune-up. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm into it. <laughs> how, much, how much do you think that'll cost? <laughs> I got a few shekels. Benny, how do we do this? Danny, take back everything you said about private equ- equity right now. <laughs> Listen, Danny, give me as much human capital stock as possible listening to this podcast, and we're good, all right? Just line them up, baby. Line them up at the Viva section, whatever the fuck's <laughs> happening. All right, Benny, we're running out of real estate on this podcast, which means it's time to go to the tune-up mailbag. You've got mail. Each and every week, you can email us at the podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us, you can Instagram us, DM us, whatever you want to do, at the HQ on Twitter and Instagram. And Benny, we put out a video talking about your summer playlist, and we got some great feedback from people. All right, so Benny, you suggested Summertime by Will Smith. Great video. Uh, mm. People ate that up, loved it. Uh, shout out to Emily. I know we've shouted you out on this section of the podcast before. Out here with the Will Smith, the DJ Jazzy Jeff gif. Shout out to you. Let's see what other people wrote in here. Alexander writes into the program. That's at AlexGT. Uh, right now, it's this, which is the best of the grassroots but could easily go to Gucci Mane at moment's notice. It's always appropriate time for East Atlanta Santa. I thought that one was interesting. Uh, You know, like, I I even saw people today commenting on, like, the best American bands in history. And nobody does it, and I don't know what the classification is, but if and when do the Wu-Tang Clan, Run DMC, the Beastie Boys... Any, you know, large hip-hop group, is that a band? (laughs) And does it count as the great American bands? Because if it does, that's some of the more large and iconic things that are getting no credit. 
This actually uh, happened today with me again harassing Mina Kimes on Twitter. Oh. Yeah, Mina loves me. Am and I apparently she loves this? Dinosaur Jr. So I'm like, whoo. <laughs> what a cool cat. Am I going to have to worry about this uh, this flirtation? This internet digital flirtation, if you will? Well, <laughs> she's got about a half a million followers. I'm assuming <laughs> I'm just another, another brick in the wall, my friend. Listen, <laughs> I don't think she's listening to Tune Up this week. Oh, right? oh man. <laughs> Wow, way to just see my face light up and then just step on my dreams. If she does, <laughs> be surprising. Shout out to Mina. Um, yeah, whatever. One of my favorites, for real, one of my favorites. Yeah. It's a strange thing about me. I love sports, kind of don't like jocks, you know? So I really like people like Mina. Kimes. And that's exactly why this podcast works. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. As I said before, you can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Instagram, at thetuneuphq. Benny is at Benny Horowitz one number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else for the people? Listen, Denny, I want you to take it slow with these street drinks, okay? <laughs> Can't have you crawling around the ground on, on White Claws at like 7.30 in the evening. I didn't know what state you were going to come in today. <laughs> I came correct, my friend. And if you're Brother. in Ocean City, Maryland and the Ozarks, shame on you. At least I do it. I walk around and then I go home. I don't. I I do it socially distant. So I've only done it in Europe and New Orleans. <laughs> so I'm I'm a rookie apparently. <laughs> this is Ben the Tune Up. Podcast.